0: Romans chapter 7. Let me, let me tell you what this is about. Uh, in context here, the Apostle Paul is continuing an argument. He's continuing an argument and a theme throughout the whole book of Romans, really throughout all of his letters. He has this central theme that he's always hitting on. He's always keying on. And it has to do with the law. The audience in Romans, is both Jew and Gentile, but over and over and over again, not only in Romans, but in all of his epistles, you hear Paul, who is a Jew, talking to his fellow Jews about the, the real intent or the real purpose, the real design of the law of God, the commands, the Ten Commandments, and all those other commands, the thou shalt do and the thou shalt not. Paul says to his brethren, to his fellow Jews, listen, we have to be very clear ...on the design or the purpose or the strategy of how God uses His commands and His law to teach us. What is the intent of the law? And you're going to see throughout the book of Romans, if you read the book of Romans and all of the epistles of Paul... ...that this thing is just an underlying theme in everything that he teaches. And that's exactly the context of Romans chapter 7. We're going to look at 14 through 25. But that's the context. Now here's what Paul is doing... In chapters 1 and 2, if you were to turn back uh, in Romans, just flip through with me. In chapters 1, 2, and into 3, here's basically what Paul does. Paul gets the Roman church lost. He tells them, here's why you are all sinners. Here's why every one of us, none of us escape the label of sinner. Not only by our actions, but by this bent, this thing that we talked about last week, this sin nature that has passed down through the dna all the way from adam we get it automatically and so one through three paul basically gets his listeners lost then in the end of three and then in four here's what paul does after he gets you lost guess what he does he tells you how to be saved he says here's how you can be justified but there's a surprise there's a surprise in how you can be justified He doesn't say you can be justified by the law, which the Jews expected him to say. The Jews expected him to say, listen, do this, this and this and you will be justified. Paul says, no, no, listen. Hey, you're all lost. Now that I've got you lost, let me tell you how you get saved. But it's 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 not how you think. Let me tell you how it is. It's by grace through faith. It's by grace through faith. It's nothing you can do yourself. And in 3 and 4, he goes all the way back into the Old Testament. He talks about Abraham. And he gives you examples of why it has always been by faith and not by works. God never intended his law to be the salvation route of mankind. Did you know that? If you go back to Exodus 20 and you read through the giving of the Ten Commandments and the law, you know what comes right after the commandments? What comes after Exodus? It's Leviticus. It's the Levitical system. Who are the Levites? They were the priests. What did the priests do? They worked in the tabernacle. What was the tabernacle for? It was for the presence of God and a place to offer him sacrifice for when I messed up the law. You following me here? He gives us a law, but he doesn't assume that we're going to be able to keep the law. So right after that, he says, here's how to build my tabernacle and here's how to, here's how to put priests in my tabernacle and here's what to do when you mess up because you're going to mess up. Now, I don't intend you to keep this. I intend that when you mess up, you fall on your face, you get a sacrifice, you bring it to me and you apologize and you repent and you trust in faith. You trust in faith of the grace of that sacrifice. See, that's Old Testament, guys. And Paul goes there in Romans four. Well, Romans five, what would you think comes after getting you saved? Not by works, but by faith. He says, listen, now, Romans five, here's the next thing you need to know that you can't lose this kind of salvation. You can't lose this kind of salvation. Why? Because it's not based on you. It's based on the God whose love never changes. And if it's not based on you, you don't have to worry about maintaining it. Right? You couldn't earn it, so now you can't maintain it. So don't be fooled. He says, Romans 5, listen, it's good news about your salvation that it's of faith by grace. Okay? But don't slip back into this deal of thinking that you need to maintain now your salvation. He said to the Galatians, you foolish Galatians, who is who has tripped you up so quickly? Did you begin with faith and now you quickly so quickly go back to works? Chapter four, it's by faith. Chapter five, he says, let's stay in faith and remember your confidence, your security in your salvation is not in yourself because you didn't earn it. You didn't merit it. So you can't demerit it. So chapter five, you trust in God because his salvation, your salvation is up to him. It's not up to you. That's good stuff that's Romans 5. Romans 6, what do you think would be next? I mean, if we're just tracking a new believer through this stuff, got me lost, got me saved, correctly saved by faith, not by works. And now he says, here's why, here's why you can be secure, here's why you can trust that you will forever be in the hand of God and no one can snatch you out. The next thing is, well now what do I do? Romans 6 is how now shall I live? And he he talks about always in the context of the law. Now how do we act? Do we keep the law? Yeah, we keep the law. But we keep the law because now we love God in such a way that we just seek to love him with our life and with our actions. That's Romans 6. Now, Romans 7, Paul continues his argument, his theme here of the law. And he's telling the Jews, listen now, because this is key to understanding our passage today. He's telling the Jews that the law is good. The law in and of itself is good, although it brought Paul to death, death in himself. It brought Paul to the end of himself. Turn to Romans 7. Let me show you a verse here. Romans 7, verse 7. This is key. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Now, the Jews had a problem with the way Paul used the law. Paul's brethren had a problem with the way Paul used the law. You see, Paul used the law the way the law was intended to be used. The law was intended to condemn you and I. The Jews wanted the law to be used to elevate you and I. That there would be rungs on a moral ladder that we could somehow climb our way to pleasing God or impressing God. Paul says we can't impress God. In fact, I'm going to prove to you throughout the book of Romans that we just fall time after time. We're sinners no matter what. We're sinners, we're sinners, we're sinners, we're sinners. Let me show you another verse. Romans three, verse twenty. This may be the best verse in all of Scripture, or maybe the most plain verse in all of Scripture as to the intent of the law. Romans three verse twenty. I remember finding this verse when I was in college and it changed It really changed my whole spiritual walk because uh, after I got saved in the 11th grade and I uh, got out of high school and I got into college, uh, I was on fire for the Lord. But my only problem was, is that I thought I had to do it myself. I thought I had to maintain it myself. I thought that God was only pleased with me when I was pleasing him. I thought that God was only happy with me and my salvation was only secure when I was doing the right things. And so I was playing that do the right thing game. And don't do the wrong thing game. And then I ran across this verse. Romans 3 verse 20 says, By the works of the law, those do's and don'ts, no flesh will be justified in His sight. That's God. Now here it is. For through the law comes the what? The knowledge of sin. Does does it say through the law comes the forgiveness of sin? Through the law comes the justification of your sin. Now, through the law simply comes the knowledge of sin. You know what the law is in Scripture, biblically, and in Paul's mind? The law is really this cosmic wet paint sign. What do you do when you see a sign that says, wet paint, do not touch? What do you do, Radley? Tell the truth. You stick your finger right in it, don't you? You stick your finger right in it. The law of God is this cosmic... Wet paint sign. That God says, don't do this. And what do we do? Yeah, I do that. And then what do we realize? I've broken God's law. It's God's way of putting a mirror in front of us to show us, yeah, I can't do that. I I, I can't keep that up. Maybe I got number one. Maybe I got number two. But number three, I dropped. And then tomorrow, maybe I got number three. But number number one, number two, I dropped. You see? The intent of the law in Paul's mind is to bring the knowledge of sin it's to tell you and I that we can't keep the law and therefore drive us to the cross drive us to our knees now Paul knows this but he's speaking to an audience that has a problem with it Romans 7 1-13 Paul is talking in the past tense and he says listen before I came to Christ, the law did something. It didn't help me. The law just killed me. Look at verse 13. Therefore, did that which is good, referring to the law, become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, now he's splitting hairs here, guys, but we've got to see here specifically what he's saying. Is the law at fault for my death, although it brought me to the point of death? No, no. Rather, here's what brought me to death. It was, what? Sin. In order that it might be shown to be sin. That's the purpose of the law. By effecting my death through that which is good. That's the law. So that, through the commandment, sin would become, what does your passage say? Utterly sinful. You see the purpose of the law again? That through the mirror of the law, I would see how utterly sinful. Ugly and wretched that I really, really am. Fellow Jews, Paul says, listen, the law wasn't intended for us to climb like a moral ladder. It was intended to break us and drive us to grace and mercy and to the cross. All right. So Romans 7, 1 through 13, Paul says, In my past, when I came to Christ, here's what the law did. It broke me. And the law proved to me that I was utterly sinful. The rest of chapter 7, here's what he says. Not only in my past did the law show me that I'm utterly sinful. He says, but I'll give you one up. You want further proof that the law is designed to show us how wretched we are? Because we are. You want further proof that the law was designed to expose our sin? He said, I'll give it to you. Not only did it expose my sin before Christ, but Romans 7, 14 through 25, he's going to say that it exposed my sin now that I am in, present tense, in Christ. From the verse 13 to verse 14, we have a... Change intense, and this is this is crucial, guys. From 13 to 14, we get a change intense. No longer is it I was, but Paul says that I am this, and we're going to find that sin, he's going to say, dwells or abides still in the life of the believer, still abides, and lives in the life of the believer. You want to know why the law is here? It's to show us how utterly sinful we were. And you want further proof? I am utterly sinful in my flesh still, even though I've come to Christ. That's what he's going to tell us. Let me give you a key here. The end of verse 13, that uh, phrase where he says, I am utterly sinful. The Greek for that word is, It's a compound word. It's hyperbolo or hooperbolo. It literally means, check this out, great word picture here in the Greek. It literally means to throw beyond. To throw way far out. We get an English word from hooperbolo. You know what it is? Hyperbole. Which means to totally exaggerate. Paul says, the law was designed... To totally exaggerate our sinfulness in our own hearts and in our own minds. Not to uplift us. Now, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. Simply means that the law itself, it's good. It's of God. It is divine. There's nothing wrong with the law. It's not the law's fault. The law, in fact, is good it is spiritual it is of god it is out of this world okay that's where he's going with that but but i i am in flesh i am of the flesh now let me tell you paul gets very very specific on the words he used here and let me tell you this uh, romans 7 it's not an easy text to teach, we got to just chop through this here, guys, because it's so specific on the words he uses. He doesn't say that we are in the flesh. He says, The law is spiritual and it's good. But listen up, folks. I am present tense, and he uses the word I, I think, 46 times in this next section. The Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote the majority of your New Testament, he says, Listen, this is my testimony, guys. I am of flesh. And then we can put all of us in that same category, okay? See, because Paul, in a sense, is every one of us. If it's true of Paul, it's definitely true of us. He says, I am of flesh. Look back at verse 5 of chapter 7. Let me split a little bit of grammatical hair with you right here. Verse five in chapter seven, he says, for while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. There's been a change here when we go from the past tense of who we were to the present tense of who we are. We are no longer chapter seven, verse five in the flesh, he says, but I did come from I am of the flesh. And the point is that there is residue from the flesh. That we have not totally escaped what he's going to call this body of sin that we still reside in. We are a new creation. We are a new creature. It is not a duality that there is a 50-50 of good and evil within us. But he's going to say that in our flesh, we are totally 100% wretched. But there is this new thing of us, this new creation that we are in. And he's going to explain now this battle. So seven, verse five. I was in the flesh. Now I'm just of the flesh. But it's important. The flesh has still carried over. Look over in chapter eight, verse eight. And those who are in the flesh. Cannot please God. We're not in the flesh. Because if we were in the flesh, Paul, we couldn't please God. He doesn't say that. He says I am of the flesh. And the flesh simply means this, guys. It's the physical part of you and I. But it's not just the physical, it's the moral part of you and I. It's the unredeemed part that is still yet to be sanctified. When we leave this earth as believers, we will go and we will be with God in heaven. And the only thing that we'll need to do before we can meet God face to face is to drop this old dead flesh, to drop this old dead body. And then God will regenerate it, right? God will make it new again so that we can have it back. But this fleshly part, this human part of us, it is still of this world and it is still connected. It still has the old tendencies and the old bent towards the old man. While I'm a new creation in my soul, there's something about me, Paul says, that is still earthly and fleshy and carnal. Let me show you First Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 3.1. Turn to your right. First Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 3.1. This is good. I want you to see it in your Bible. First Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 3.1 says this. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able Who's he talking to here? He's talking to young Christians. Babes in the faith. Now look at what else he says. Verse 3. Here's why you're babes. Because you are still fleshy. Isn't that good? For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshy? And are you not walking like mere men? You see, see the, the difference that Paul makes here? That though we are in Christ and we are a new creation... We are all the things that chapter 6 says we are. Paul says, listen, there's something else I have to tell you here. I got you lost. I got you saved. I got you saved by faith, by grace, not through works. I told you why you can be secure in your faith. Now I told you how to live after that. How to live out your life in appreciation to God through the law. Chapter 7. Let me tell you something else. That old sin, that old fleshly stuff, hey, don't be surprised when it creeps back in. I wish someone would have taught me Romans 7 in college. Amen? I wish somebody would have taught me Romans 7 about a month after I was saved. You know why? Because, and I'll be generous, give myself a month. Maybe for a month after I was saved, I quit sinning. Probably not. Maybe I lasted the rest of that evening after Sunday night service. But I'll give myself a month. I wish somebody would have come in a month later when the reality of the fact that, you know what, Daryl? Sin is still hanging out in your life. Don't be surprised. But you know what happened to me? I started getting back into this same old stuff. And when the high of getting saved went away, and I got back into my room or into my car or wherever I was when I was by myself and those thoughts came back or those motives came back, those impure motives came back, those selfish desires came back. When those sin evidences came back, you know what I thought? I thought one of two things. Either I never got saved to begin with. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe, I, maybe I missed it. I, maybe I don't know what happened. Maybe I thought I got saved. Maybe I, didn't, maybe I was on the wrong knee. Maybe I got to switch over. Maybe I didn't fill out the card correctly when I went forward. Whatever. I don't know. Maybe I didn't get saved. That's option number one. Or option number two. Maybe I'm just not real good at this thing. Maybe I got to buckle down. Maybe I got to try harder. Maybe I'm just a disappointment. Maybe I'm just a miserable failure to my God. Now, I don't know about you guys, but without the knowledge of Romans chapter 7. And we haven't even we haven't even gotten into our text here, guys. But just the mere fact that the apostle Paul can say, present tense, I am still fleshy. I'm still carnal. He's gonna finish the verse and say, in fact I'm 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 a slave to sin. I'm in bondage. I'm chained. There's this ball and chain that drags me down. Unless we know that that is the truth and that is the norm of the Christian life. Then we'll end up where I ended up saying, maybe I'm not saved at all. Because my assumption was that once I got saved, all that stuff's got to go away, right? All that stuff's got to go away. And I got to be perfect. I mean, maybe somehow God just downloads it into my brain, zip. I know all the Bible. Uh, I know how to pray. I know how to witness. I know how to do all this stuff. And I know how to avoid all my sins. Or maybe I'm just really not any good at this thing. And maybe I'm a miserable failure and disappointment to the God who saved me. And you know what I do? I slip back into the attitude of maybe I need to do a better job of climbing that moral ladder so that my God is pleased with me. And you see why it's so important to understand the reason that the law was given and that we continue to put the law in its proper place even after we have found grace and mercy is because, listen guys, it wasn't just the Jews. We have in humanity this tendency in us to always go back to the do's and the don'ts. To always go back to trying to please God, even though He saved us by grace, through faith. And that not of ourselves, lest any man should boast, but it is the gift of God. And here we get back over into our Christian life and we say, I've got to start working again. i got to start doing it again. One of the reasons is, is because nobody told us that sin will rear its ugly head again. Sin does not go away. Let me show you something real quick and I'm going to close and we'll finish this next week. Go to Romans verse six, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 10. For the death that He died, that's Jesus, He died to sin. Once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves. That's you and I. We're to consider ourselves To be dead to sin. But alive to God in Christ Jesus. Who's supposed to be dead to sin? Us. Do you notice what's not dead in Romans chapter 6? And do you notice what's not dead in all of Scripture? Do you notice what's not dead even after we come to the foot of the cross? Bow our knee in faith by grace. Sin is not dead. You know what I wish this passage would say? Is that sin is dead and gone. But he says, no, you consider yourselves, King James says, you reckon yourselves dead to sin. Folks, we have to, we have to act dead towards sin. This sinful life. It's still there, folks. It's still there. Now, I told you in the beginning that Romans 7, uh, I hate this passage, but I'm so glad it's here. I hate this passage where Paul tells us that sin is going to rear its ugly head in the life of you as a believer. I hate it because I wish sin were dead. I wish it were gone. I I wish it were out of my flesh. I wish it wasn't a part of me any longer. Paul's going to say at the end of this passage, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of sin? When do I get out of this thing? He knows who saved him. His cry is not, who will save my soul? His cry is, who can save me from this wretched, filthy, ball and chain that is continuing to drag me down now that I'm in love with my Christ? Thanks be to Jesus. Thanks be to Jesus. I love this passage Because if this is true in the Apostle Paul's life, when I come to the realization that there's still sin that I have to deal with, there's still this old man that I have to deal with, and the law puts it in my face on a daily basis, the law that I love, that I I can't seem to keep, the law that with all my heart he's going to say, I love and I desire to do now because I'm in love with my Savior. As much as I want to do it, I, I can't find myself doing it. Why? Because because I'm a flesh, and it, it, and I'm dragging this thing along. I'm dragging this thing along. One historian, Aquinas, pardon my French, but Brother Aquinas called this old flesh Brother Ass. He affectionately referred to it as this old mule. That I'm dragging along and he says, I beat it, I whip it, I try and push it from behind. I'm pulling with the reins from the front and it won't go anywhere. Hey, I love this passage. Because if Paul has to deal with his old sinful flesh rearing its ugly head. And it warring against a heart that says, I want to be totally and completely sold out to the Savior who died for me. I I can't seem to do the things I want to do if that's true of Paul I take comfort in knowing that it's true of me and I'm not the only one folks listen there are denominations out there that say that when you get saved there should be no more sin there are denominations out there that say when you get a second or third blessing sin just goes away can I tell you what happens and why this passage is so important because sin does not go away that's the reality of the fact But what happens is, sin gets tucked down into the basement. Sin gets tucked down into the basement. And when sin gets tucked down into the basement, it doesn't go away. It just appears to go away. And we put on this happy face on the front. And we act like if there's no sin in our lives. But all the while, we've got this thing down here. And it's eating us alive. Genesis, God says to Cain, after he slew Abel, Be... Careful, Because sin is crouching at your door. It's a picture of a lying. He says, and it is waiting to devour you. This sin thing, it's like a lying, like licking its chops, waiting to eat you alive. And when we pretend that there's no sin in our lives, and the truth is, that sin remains. And we have to deal with the old fleshly self. What do we do? We put on the front and we put the sin in the basement and nobody knows about it. Cornerstone, here's my prayer for us, that we would be completely honest with each other. That if you ever get the impression that your pastor is sinless, just ask Kimberly to come up and give testimony, Okay, She'll be happy to do it. You know how difficult it is being a pastor uh, and getting your sermons preached back at you? Or on Sunday, when you lose your temper, your wife's saying, "All right, Pastor, you ready to preach tomorrow? Y'all didn't know the Holy Spirit lived in my house, did you? If you ever get the impression that your staff is sinless, just ask our spouses, just ask my son, if Dad can lose his temper, if Dad can blow a fuse. Listen, hey, let's be completely honest as a church with each other. I don't want to come into this place and, and, and... put on fronts and everybody think everybody is sinless here. Paul has already told us that he, the man who wrote the majority of your New Testament, he's wretched. He's wretched. Folks, we all have stuff. Let's not tuck it down in the basement. Let's be upfront with it. Let's deal with it. And let's help each other. You know the guy that I'm not worried about? And I'll close with this. The guy that I'm not worried about is the guy that comes to me broken, contrite. The guy who comes to me, Psalm 51. Not with sacrifices, not with deeds, but with a broken and contrite heart. Knowing that God will not despise that. The guy who comes to me and says, bro, listen, I'm failing miserably. And I don't know what it is, but something in me, it makes me sick when I, when I fail. But I fail. And I know I don't want to do it, but I do it anyway. And then I just get even more sick. But my heart's desire is to please God and to, and to fulfill His law because I'm in, I'm in such, a, I'm so in love with Him now. But there's, there's this thing that drags me down. And man, I'm torn and there's this battle. I don't worry about that guy. You know why? Because that guy is as spiritually astute as the Apostle Paul is in Romans 7. This passage is not about a guy who's a spiritual weakling. This is about a guy who's a spiritual stud. When he can come to the place where he realizes, man, I need help. I needed help before the cross. I needed grace and mercy And now I need help now, even after the cross. I still need grace and mercy. Amen. Let's pray.